listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. He does an amazing work and such a good friend of mine that, and mentor that I appreciate his time with us here. I want to read the passage that we're going to go into. So if you can stand with me. We're reading 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 11, and when I finish uh, reading, we're gonna, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and I'm inviting you to respond, saying, thanks be to God. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go. Man, it's good to be here today. Uh, this is the second time I've been here, um, I think, for the church. Last time I was here, you guys were sending out your first church planter. I mean, how incredible it is to send out your first church planter before you establish your leadership. It says a good bit about the mission of this church uh, that was started a long time ago. It was put into the hands of Jared Ossalier. It's been multiplied through Samir. And now it is being handed into the hands of new elders, new leaders who will help guide this church. And it's not a small thing. It's a big thing. Today's a big thing. And I found that when God wants to do a big thing, sometimes the enemy doesn't want him to do a big thing. But for all of you who woke up this morning and turned on the weather channel, it's like, ah, may or may not go. Some people did that and they stayed behind. But the faithful few are right here. And I hope you brought your Bible because we are going to be in that same exact passage we just read together. So if you've got a Bible, hope you do. Uh, again, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to take a look at this passage that is referring to elders. Now we're installing elders today. And you might think that everything we're about to say today only applies to those leaders. But the truth is, what we're going to see today is a scoreboard for all Christians. Because each and every one of us has not been called to just exist in the local church. We have been called to make a difference through the local church. And today as we take a look at eight 
principles, eight qualities, then we're going to see a bit of a scoreboard for ourselves about how we are doing. Are we doing well? Now, you might be scared right now. It's like, does that pastor have eight points? (laughs) We are going to be here forever. No, it's going to go really, really fast. But to get us started, I want to tell you a story about growing up. So I grew up in South Carolina, if you can't tell my accent. Uh, we're used to hurricanes. Uh, this, is a, this is sort of, I'm feeling, feeling a little home, feeling like I'm back at home. as uh, Hurricanes on the Weather Channel, back where I'm coming from. Now, I grew up in this house. As a, uh, the way that it was designed is there was like a living room, and then all of the bedrooms were down this long hallway. And at the top of this long hallway uh, was a cord that came down and that cord had a hook on it. And if you put your finger around that hook and pulled it down, it took you into the attic. But it was a, it was a tall ceiling and the cord was hanging down uh, that as a young boy, uh, one of the goals I had was to jump up and try to touch it. Now, when I was little, it was really, really hard. And I was also a very small kid. I kind of went through changes slower than everybody else. So my friends were able to jump up and touch it. And I noticed that all the boys, all of my friends, when they would pass underneath this little hook, they all felt the need to run up and try to jump and touch it. But I also noticed that my sister and her friends could care less about that. Then I had kids. I started noticing my two boys, they would do that very same thing. They'd run underneath it, they'd jump up and see if they could touch it. And when they could, man, it was like manhood was happening. But my daughter could care less. And then I read this book that said that every man is asking one question. It also says that every woman is asking one question. But the question that the man is asking, and he never stops asking, is the question, am I enough? And running up underneath that little cord and the chance to jump up and touch it was all of my friends living out, am I enough? Am I enough to jump and touch it? Am I enough to be the type of believer that God's called me to be? Am I enough as a husband? This is the kind of question that we're constantly asking. And it can be a, uh, it can be a gift from the Lord for him to share with us what he's asking of us, for him to be clear with us, this is what I'm asking of you. And today we're going to look at this passage, and I don't want us to just look through the lens of eldership and leadership. I want us to look at it through the lens of each and every one of us has been called to this task that we're going to see today. Again, it starts in verse 1. We'll go back there, just go line by line, learn something as we go. Verse 1 says this, I, so I, this is Peter, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter says that he is an elder himself who is writing to and giving exhortation to another group of elders. The first thing that I see in this passage that God has called all of us to be is a leader of leaders. We all have been asked to do that. Not just the men who are gonna be brought up here, But every one of us as Christians have been asked to do this very same thing, to take what we have learned in our lives 
and to invest it in the next person. Every single one of us has been asked to do that. Not just the leaders, every one of us, but the men and women who do that consistently rise to the top because they're being obedient to the very great commission that God has given us to make disciples, to make leaders who will then invest in the next generation of leaders. I would submit to you that there's no greater need in the church than leadership development. I would submit to you there's no greater need in our nation than development of leaders. And I would submit to you that there's no greater need inside your family than the commitment to develop a group of people who will make an impact in the world, not the world making an impact solely on them. Now, I believe that God is asking each and every one of us to not only be a leader, but to also be led. And if you are not currently experiencing the joy of having someone invest in you, then you're missing out. I know that small groups are starting up soon and that's an important part of having someone who's investing in you. But it shouldn't end with you. What is deposited in you should not be the place that it ends. You are to take what you have been given and invest it in the next person. And that is how the church has arrived on your doorstep today is because there has been a group of people who've been willing to invest in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation to ensure that it comes to you. But the crisis of the church is will it end with you? Or will you pick up the banner and invest in someone else? All right, he keeps going. Look with me at verse two. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The second thing that I think every leader and every Christian who is seeking to be obedient to God is called to be is a shepherd. That we have all been called as we are leaders of leaders to ensure that those that we are leading are also shepherded. Now, I'm going to tell you that one of the weaknesses in church leadership today is the uh, not understanding that we are to lead, and as we lead, we are to shepherd. You know, when we lead in any aspect of life, usually the leader is calling people to a change. He's asking or she's asking someone to go from this point to that point and to get from where we are to where we're going, there's some changes that have to be made. I've also heard that the only person who likes change is the person who's leading change. The person whose idea we are putting into application. It is difficult for everybody else who's following through change. And I believe here what Peter is saying to us is that the best leaders, they don't just lead through change, they shepherd people through change. What does that mean? That means that you recognize that if you're taking a group of people from point A to point B, that this process is not gonna be easy and it is not gonna be natural. You are gonna to wanna to go faster than everybody else. But if you love the people you are leading, then what you will do is shepherd them through change. 
Now, many of us have been a part of organizations and workforces and even churches where change happens so fast without much explanation that it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like someone cares about me so much they want to communicate to me. They want to make sure that my questions are answered. And good Christian leaders recognize that they're not just leading towards change, but they are shepherding people through that very change. Now, that's not a call to passivity. That you've got to uh, make sure that you're getting approval from every single person. No, it's this beautiful mixture that we see in the shepherd's life. This mixture of nurture and discipline. Defending and caressing. This is who we've been asked to be as leaders. I would submit to you that if you're a Christian leader here in the church or a Christian leader out in the world, you don't get to choose a different type of leadership strategy. Your leadership strategy as a believer in Jesus is Jesus's leadership strategy. And that leadership strategy is a strategy of you being a servant that you will serve people and shepherd people as you lead them. Continues on in verse two, it says, exercising oversight and not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, I'm stopping in the middle of a sentence, but I think there's something important here. Another thing that is identified of who we're supposed to be, we're supposed to act as God would have us to. And the way that he would have us to do it is for it not to be for selfish gain. The third thing that I would submit to you that God is asking us to be as leaders in the church is that we would be selfless in our service. We've been called to be selfless. That it's not about us. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about them. But in this world that we live in, particularly in America, we do individual fame real good. Now, there's a discussion that I've had with a lot of people before I want to have with you. Not so much a discussion. I know it's a monologue, but um, we can have the discussion afterwards. But here's how the discussion goes. If you were to name the best rock band ever, who would you say it was? Now, I, I know that as, as I'm saying that, uh, maybe some of you are like, I don't care anything about rock and roll. That's not my thing. I know this is just an illustration to help arrive at a point. But if you were going to enter into this conversation, who was the greatest rock band of all time? You might hear titles like this or, or names like this, The Beatles. The Rolling Stones, you might hear Led Zeppelin, you might hear Queen. Those are the names that you're going to come up with. You know, it's going to take a pretty long time if you made a top 10 list to finally get to, listen to this, an American group. Everyone that I just named is not American. Why is that? Why is it that great Corporate success is not associated with us. But if I were to ask you who is the king of pop, it's clear. There's no discussion, right? It's Michael Jackson. 
If we ask the question, who's the king of rock and roll? They've established it. It's Elvis. And if you said, who is the king of soul? Born in my hometown, by the way, James Brown. And those are all Americans. Because you know what we do real good? Individual fame. What we don't do well together is corporate success. And I think what we're getting asked right here to be is let's not do what's natural to us and make this about selfish gain, but let's make this about others to whom we are going to serve. I would say to you that your mission as a church, even your mission as a leader, even your mission as a Christian is this, to build stages that other people will stand on. Not stages for your glory, not stages so that you could be put on display, but being someone who's willing to build stages that the purpose is that someone else might shine. And Peter is saying, to be a Christian leader needs to be people who have that kind of heart. He continues on. We're in verse 3. Uh, Do not be domineering over those in charge, being an example to the flock. But when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I want to stop here with chief shepherd. Interestingly, earlier you were listed, if you're taking this as an individual call on yourself, that you are a shepherd, but we are reminded here that you aren't the shepherd, you are an under-shepherd, that there is a chief shepherd, and you're underneath that chief shepherd. You don't rule underneath, or you don't rule by yourself, you rule underneath someone. So I would submit to you that the fourth thing that's being asked of us is that we be people under authority. You know who the most dangerous leader is? Is a leader who doesn't believe that he or she is under any authority. But a healthy leader is a leader that recognizes he's only temporary. And to be a Christian leader is to recognize this. We are under shepherds. We are temporary. We are all interim leaders. Because one day we'll hand this off to someone else. I have two boys. I have a daughter as well. But one of my sons is a United States Marine. Uh, He serves in Okinawa. um, And uh, it's been fun. Actually, his name's Ethan. And Ethan told us a long time ago that he was going to be a Marine. He's always said this. It's been his goal. And he he did it. He did exactly what he said. But my favorite story to tell you about this process of Ethan deciding that he was going to be a Marine was one day when he was younger, he came to me and he said, dad, I figured out exactly what I'm going to do with my life. And I said, you have, that's awesome. That's not, you know, I mean, a lot of nine-year-olds come up with that. It's not usually what they do, but I'm excited to hear what you have on your, on your mind. And he said, listen, it, it, this is what I want. I want a job that um, is fun and no one will tell me what to do. 
And I was like, I want that job too. I said, so, so you know a job that is both fun and no one's gonna tell you what to do. And I am telling you with the straightest face, like he was telling me like, like the truth. He goes, yes, if you wanna have fun and never have anybody to tell you what to do, you become a United States Marine. <laughs> it was like, bro. <laughs> I hope it's fun, but I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a man called your drill sergeant and he is going to tell you what to do. He also told me that one of his dreams was to be the first person to land on the sun. <laughs> and I had to tell him, I don't think that was possible, bud. But don't we all, don't we all prefer to be people who don't have to listen to anybody else. I would submit to you that the most dangerous place we could all be is in a world where we are the end of the authority. And the church today is submitting itself to a plurality of leaders to ensure that we are submitting ourselves to wisdom collectively, which is a laying down of personal power to ensure that a greater understanding that comes from multiple people's relationship with God to make decisions. This is a decision to live that way. One of my favorite pastors, uh, I've heard him say this a bunch of times, he says, I see myself as a person under the book. That's who I am. I'm, I'm a man who's under the book, meaning the book is my authority. The book tells me what to do. The choices that we made are not coming from my mind. I'm underneath the word of God that tells me where I'm to go. And you are to live that way as well to live as a man or a woman under the book. Here is your direction, here is your authority. This is how we know what we are to do. You guys enjoying this at all? Let's go. A few more and we'll be done. Uh, verse five says this, likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The fifth thing that I see here is humility. God is calling us to be humble. He's calling us to be humble people. Now, there's a type of person in this world that I would like to be, but I know I'm never this person. There's a type of person that I love to be around them and learn from them. I would love to be it, but I just find that I don't have the humility to be this type of person. I love it when I run into someone and I start talking to them about something, thinking that I'm the like authority on the issue. And then I find out like weeks later, months later, or years later that who I was talking to is a much greater authority on this subject than I ever was, but they never said a thing. It's like when I start talking about music and I find out that the person that I'm talking to is actually a professional musician, but they never said anything. They just were like, oh, that's interesting. 
Tell me more. I'm interested in your thoughts. You start talking about uh, history and the person you're talking to is a professor of history, but they never let it on. They just are like, that's incredible. Why did you become so intrigued with that subject matter? And then when you find out years later who they really were, you're like, and they didn't say nothing. The only way you can do that is if you're a person who is humble. And every moment's not about your glory, but every moment is about something else besides your glory. I would love to be that person, but I know in my heart, I always find ways to say the things that I am. I've noticed that uh, coming here before I was a pastor, now I'm no longer a pastor. And I've found that I get in conversations with pastors and I feel like I need to tell them that I was a pastor. I feel the need to explain to everybody what we accomplished in the last church that we led. Why? Because I'm insecure and I'm still trying to be who God's calling me to be. So in this moment, I don't want you to feel like, man, this is a gavel of things that are being put on me. No, this is something that we're all looking at, this scoreboard. And today we're trying to figure out where God is pressing us to become more like him. One of those things is being humble. The sixth of those things is my greatest sin. It's in verse six, or excuse me, it's in verse seven. It says this, casting all your anxiety on him. Your, yours might say your cares. Casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's no verse in the Bible that I've had quoted to me more by my lovely wife, Tara, who's here, than this one. Because I've always struggled with anxiety. There's no more important scripture memory verse in my life than this one. Because I constantly need to be reminded that I'm not supposed to hold on to my anxieties. I'm supposed to give them over. Now, my greatest anxiety has always been and is to this day speaking to groups that I don't know very well. Now, I don't feel it so much here because I believe that you love me and that I love you. And when I'm in that sort of situation, I don't experience the same anxiety. But if I'm in a place where I don't know if anybody thinks anything positively about me, I get real anxious. Now I know you're watching me do this and you're like, ah, you have no idea what anxiety I have. You, I can, you're saying you're anxious right now, but I can see you're not that anxious. Not the kind of anxiety I deal with. Hmm. No, it's just been a process. So in 2000, when God said to me very clearly that I want you to spend your life being a minister of the gospel, with that in my heart, I had a kind of conversation with God that I heard Moses had with God. Might be one you've had with God. Not me, Lord. Not me. There's people who love to get up on stages and speak to groups, but not me. And I have found that this thorn in my flesh that just won't go away is God's gracious way of keeping me humble. 
the very point before this for me, I think is the very purpose that he's given me this thorn. But I also recognize he is not asking me to hold on to it. He is asking me to give it over. And godly leaders who are following the example of Christ do that. They take their anxieties, they cast it on Christ and ensure that he will take care of it. So the longest walk for me is always from that seat to this stage. And from that seat to this stage, this is the prayer I always pray. God, you know I can't do it without you. And it could be your good pleasure for me to fall on my face today. And if it is, thank you for the opportunity to be humble. But if it be your will, that I can be helpful today and take away my anxieties. I cast it on you so that you might take care of it. We're almost done. Let's get to verse seven. Two more and we'll be finished. Excuse me, verse eight. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Number seven is to be watchful of sin. Christian leaders are watchful of sin. Now, if I ask the question today, who here likes naps? Who would raise their hand? You know what I found out? Adults love naps. Only children think it's punishment. All of us who've existed in this world are just asking for a moment for someone to say, why don't you just go take a nap? Yes, I'll do it right now. Now, my favorite way to take a nap, because I don't, I don't sleep the best. Um, I, I sometimes struggle with falling asleep, but there's one thing I can do that is guaranteed to put me asleep every time. And it is animal shows. You put David Atterborough's voice on as he starts talking about, you know, the hyenas are going through the prairie. And I'm like, I'm out. This is true, right? So, um, my favorite of all the animal shows, the one that might actually keep me awake and not just go straight to sleep is the big cats. You know, watching the big cats, the lions and the leopards and the tigers, that's, that one might actually keep me awake. And what I've learned in all that is that if you are um, the food of the big cats, you have to have some strategies. One of those strategies is to make sure that you are always attentive. Even the way that their eyes are put, all the things that they're hunting, they have eyes on the side so they can constantly be looking around. And everything that they're hunting also lives in packs. You know why? Because you can see more together than you can see by yourself. And, and Peter's giving us that same illustration. Always be watching for the enemy. And recognize that you have blind spots that only others can see. So be watchful because there's something out there seeking to destroy you. 
And his favorite target is someone who is alone and someone who is unaware. So in this privileged verse, Peter's reminding us to make sure that we are careful as we are watchful. And then finally, it says this, verse nine, resist him, hold, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. Let me say that again. The same kind of suffering of, uh, of being experienced by the brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the grace, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The last one is the hardest one. Christian leaders suffer well. Christian leaders suffer well. About a month ago, I sat in an office with a New Testament professor. And I said to him, I have an idea. It's an idea that I'd like to write about, but I feel like it's a new idea. And I've noticed that people who have new ideas with 2000 years of the history of the church usually end up being heretics. Not a lot of new under the sun. So I'm bringing this to you to evaluate for me because I don't wanna be the next one, but I've got an idea that I think I wanna say. It's about suffering. As a pastor for a while, I've watched many, many people suffer. And I've noticed that I'll give answers to their sufferings that only work in certain situations, but don't work in other situations. It's like I don't have an answer that is solid enough that it works for all situations. It's the kind of things like this, like I know that you're going through suffering, but uh, it's all going to turn out good. And that does work sometimes. But if you've lost a child, it's like, how? Explain to me how this will end up good. Heard people say this, well, it's just God's plan. You gotta trust in God's plan. I know you're going through a hard time, you're suffering, there's just gotta trust in God's plan. And that works for some things. But if you've been abused, when you suffer with the consequences of that for your whole life, you sit there going, I don't see how this is a good God plan. Or someone will say, I know you're going through a hard time, but it's just gonna make you stronger. And it works sometimes. But if you're going through a divorce, it's like, I don't feel like I'm getting any stronger. I, I feel like I'm alone. So it's a verse like this that gives me a different perspective of maybe there is a reason for our suffering. It's not the ones that we've given, though none of those are wrong, but they're just not sufficient. 
The one I want to give to you, I believe, is sufficient for every one of them. And here's the reason for our suffering. The reason for our suffering is that God loves the world. The reason for our suffering is that we have been called to be living hope to the world that he loves. And what he wants to do to people in this world that are experiencing the same sufferings that we are experiencing, that God in his providence has not withheld from us, is that he wants the world looking in on us to see what it looks like to live with hope in the midst of our suffering. So if you've lost a child and you're living in a hope that people who are without Christ don't have, then what you become is the living hope as you walk with God through this and they go, how are they doing it? I haven't gone to bed one night without weeping and I'm watching him or her praise God. I think the reason why God would allow for us to suffer is that we might then be able to minister to the person who is suffering without Christ to find the hope that is there in Christ. But listen to this. If you live in your suffering the same way as the world, then you waste your suffering. And I would submit to you that you're wasting your opportunity to impact this world. We suffer well because when we suffer well, we give hope to people who don't have Christ. But the only way that we suffer well is if we are first willing to give our lives to Christ. So I started this sermon by asking the question, am I enough? And if you've walked through this with me, then you've figured it out. You're not enough. You don't get 100 on the test, neither do I. But Christ Jesus, to whom we have worshiped today, to whom we have spoken about, has. And if we will put our yes on the table, if we will put our yes with him, then we don't have to be enough. We just put our faith in the one who is enough. But I've been thinking lately about this phrase, yes, on the table. I think that's the wrong yes. I think God has asked us to put our yes on an altar. Putting it on the table, I can pick it back up. Putting it back on an altar means it's burned. It's, it's his. So what I'm asking you today, if you don't yet have a relationship with God and you can see that you're not enough, like all of us are in the room, but you're not living with that hope that Christ offers, he asks you to put your yes, putting your faith in him, 
that for the rest of your days, you will follow his guidance, his leadership. He is the master. That you don't put this yes on the table, you put it on an altar, never to pick it back up. And when you do that, you become a brother and sister in Christ to whom I would love to say, welcome to the family. Welcome to a relationship with God. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for this wonderful day in the history of Story City, Granada Hills. We're gonna close this service with worship, but also with one last prayer. where We bring the leaders up who have exemplified this amongst other testimonies in the scripture. But God, these are not perfect men. But these are men who are committed Their yes is on the altar to all these things being lived out in their lives. The moment that they fail, they seek your forgiveness. They stand back up in repentance and begin to walk with you again. God, I'm so grateful for these men. God, some of these men will be the next future church planters that will be sent out because this is a church that lives for something greater than itself. It lives for the kingdom of God. But God, this church can only be as great as the king who lives in our hearts. So Father, I ask that if there's anyone here today who has not yet put their faith in you, they have not put their yes on the altar, they've not trusted you, that this would be their moment. This would be the moment they say yes to you. And God, that they are welcomed into this family this group of people who are on mission together to see this community reach, that we might be living hope to those outside of these walls. God, I thank you for anyone who's here today. But God, we thank you so much that we have built our lives on you. We have built this church on you. God, I pray that you would bless this work as they seek to be faithful in all that you've asked them to do. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at storycitygh or online at storycitychurch.com. Go and be the church.